Thank you so much, Caleb and Lelena. That was beautiful. Always a healthy reminder, this is our Father's world. And that's what we are here on the Sabbath to do. Uh, part, of, part of the point, Sabbath was set aside so we could reflect on creation. And so thank you. That pairs very nicely with today's topic. So uh, this is going to feel a little bit strange because I, f- I feel like I'm introducing a speaker and yet I'm speaking. But uh, this is actually building towards next Sabbath's Religious Liberty Sabbath. And uh, I always found it a little strange. We would have an, what's the order of service? We have an offering call, and then somewhere down the line, we also have a message. And so the, the message meant to compel the religious liberty offering campaign. Giving comes after the giving's been, anyway. Uh, so um, we're going to build this here. We're going to build towards that. We're going to, we're going to, uh, build towards the why of that campaign. Um, so, yes, next next Sabbath, uh, and, and so I'm borrowing some of those campaign resources uh, with today's ad- sermon adapted from a manuscript. Um, so next Sabbath is January 13th. That's Religious Liberty Sabbath. And this special theme is near and dear to us, and it commonly includes that offering appeal. Uh, I left the flyers at home, but they will be here next Sabbath for the actual um, Religious Liberty offering. But if you want to, uh, uh, you may have seen the link on the slide, on the announcement slide for Religious Liberty campaign, uh, but also you can go to libertymagazine.org donate for their concise description. This is what we do. This is what uh, this offering goes towards. But in summary, you can uh, they, uh, the Religious Liberty Department, uh, Public Affairs and Religious Liberty Department in the Seventh-day Adventist Church uh, is avid in religious liter- liberty advocacy efforts. And uh, you can also see on the, on the website um, some of the ways to give or on the flyer that we'll hand out next Sabbath. You can see some of the more unique ways uh, to give than... Uh, the offering in the plate, um, but uh, for today's message, turning to today's message, it's adapted from a sermon manuscript provided by this year's uh, uh, speaker, Religious Liberty Sabbath speaker chosen by the NAD, John Ashmead Esquire. Uh, John earned his law degree from Howard University uh, School of Law. And he served as the assistant attorney, uh, attorney general for the state of Connecticut, actually. And he's uh, uh, also a senior assistant counsel for the, uh, oh, excuse me, that's what he has done before. He's currently uh, senior assistant counsel for the Yale New Haven Health System. And he's also serving as the associate public affairs and religious liberty director for the Atlantic Union Conference. And so he's, he's put his law degree to work, uh, but he's also putting it to work for religious liberty advocacy in the SDA church. And so he, he knows a thing or two more than I would on the subject. Uh, so, uh, he, so starting off, there's the point about Apple. You know, where sometimes the, there's the, there's the saying, uh, do you really want to know how the sausage is made? 
Well, do you really want to know how your phone is made? Oh boy, it's something we try not to think about. But Apple is the most valuable company in the world. And this economic juggernaut has enjoyed almost a monopoly over the smartphone and tablet markets. In the great controversy between smartphones, you're either Apple or Android, yeah. Uh, so we have the heavy hitters. Each year, millions of consumers eagerly await the next new model uh, or software upgrade to their phones, and few appreciate the work that actually goes into those products. Many are actually unaware that the iPhone and the iPad are not manufactured stateside. These products are generally manufactured to some degree in factories in China, India, and Taiwan. There have been ongoing reports that the work conditions in these overseas factories for this brand in particular, and I want to be clear, this is a heavy hitter, it's a juggernaut, it is by no means an isolated case to them, but uh, they've had reports specific to them where the work conditions in their overseas factories would be troubling if we knew how the sausage was made. Workers work six to seven days per week, often forced to work up to 12 hours a day to meet the, un the insatiable consumer demand for these phones and other devices. Not only do the workers work long hours, but they also do so for a pittance as far as wages go. They're forced to live, in some cases, forced to live on factory campuses away from their families. And from time to time, there have been reports of high suicide rates among these workers as well. So workers often complain of facilities with poor ventilation, ongoing exposure to hazardous chemicals, and being forced to work for weeks without a day off. These conditions leave them tired, exhausted, and if they are complained, though, they are replaceable and so easily terminated. Apple made the, the decision to manufacture its products in China to take advantage of labor laws that permit them to hire a cheap and skilled labor force, where workers can be compelled to work long hours without dealing with labor unions or the costs of health care, workers' comp, anti-discrimination laws, pregnancy leave requests, family leave requirements, those things that you know, cut into the bottom line. These benefits that protect American workers from exploitation uh, are not often extended there. And so, but here, stateside, those benefits do protect us. They give rest to the weary. And when I think about the grueling work schedule of these factory workers in China, it kind of makes me a little exhausted. But have you ever been weary? Have you ever been exhausted or tired from working hard? Maybe stressed, in need of rest? You don't have to be an overseas factory worker to feel this way. Uh, something that maybe is, uh, let's say, a, a cultural observation. Why we're not strangers to weariness, to exhaustion. We sometimes are... Uh, culture to feel, oh, we need the next big thing, or we need, uh, we can have it all. You can do all the work to get all the things, but also build all that family and support that family. Oh, get 
supply all the things there. And boy, while we're out doing all that work, oh man, we, you know, all those hours are filled. And then now we, by extension, are trying to fill the kids' hours too. So we're uh, to keep them busy and looked after while we're doing our thing. It, it's a cycle. It's a cycle. I get tired thinking of that. I don't have, I don't have kids, but I feel the tired <laughs> from, the, from the rat race sometimes. So have, have you ever needed rest from that hard work? This is where God's people found themselves in today's key text. They'd been slaves, slaves in Egypt for 400 years, and boy, were they tired, exhausted, needed rest. Physical and spiritual rest had been taken from them. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us how many hours of day they worked. But one can assume it was long work hours, limited leisure time. And they worked, the Hebrews worked seven days a week with no rest. This is implied by Moses' request to Pharaoh to let the people go into the desert for three days to rest and make sacrifices. The Egyptian taskmasters employed physical force, intimidation, and harsh treatments to compel work. Slaves who failed to meet their daily quotas experienced terrible punishments. Indeed, it was due to Moses witnessing the harsh treatment of a fellow Hebrew that he even intervened more hand, in a more hands-on manner uh, in the form of killing an Egyptian taskmaster. We don't know the life expectancy of the Hebrew slaves but we know that slaves in the United States, uh, in, our, in our history with slavery, their average lifespan was 36 years compared to the non-enslaved population life expectancy of 50 years. So quite a difference. For the American slave, this shortened life expectancy was attributed to poor work conditions, or excuse me, living conditions, poor nutrition, and of course those exhausting long work hours. It's no wonder that Moses sought to bring the Hebrews rest and to teach them to rest. From the pen of inspiration, here's a word on this issue. Uh, This is out of First Testimonies. Or Testimonies, Volume 1, excuse me. Uh, God reserved the seventh day as a period of rest for man, for the good of man, as well as for God's own glory. He saw that the wants of man required a day of rest from toil and care, that his health and life would be endangered without a period of relaxation from the labor and anxiety of the six days. But in the case of the enslaved Israelites, Pharaoh bristled at the thought that Moses taught people to rest. Cuts into the bottom line, doesn't it? This rest needed by the Hebrews was not just physical, though. They needed physical rest so that the Hebrews could also offer sacrifices to God. In other words, spiritual rest. In confronting Pharaoh, Moses and Aaron were asserting on behalf of the Hebrew people the universal fundamental right that exists for planet Earth. If there was a heavenly bill of rights, rest would be a principal and primary right, would it not? There is in the universe, in God's universe, a fundamental right to rest. Yes, rest. The Bible tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He 
created light out of darkness, divided the light into day and night, created the land and water, green grass, fruit-bearing trees, created the sun to govern the day, the stars and lesser lights to govern the night, filled the waters with animals, littered the skies with birds, and spread animals across the earth. Then he decided to make a creature in his own image. And so in doing so, he made man and woman in his image, gave them dominion over the earth, not, importantly, not each other. When God had finished the six days of labor, working day and night, 24-6, the account tells us that he blessed the seventh day, sanctified it, and rested. God set in place a universal pattern for man to emulate. Six days of work, one day sanctified and blessed rest. Seventh day he called the Sabbath. This was given to the man and to the woman. But it was not just given to them. It was a gift for all creation. A gift to the animals, a gift to the land, a gift to the earth itself. Six days of work, then rest. This is dotted across the Bible, starting with God's own example in Genesis 2. And remember, as we, as we read it, was, was God really the one who needed the rest? Hmm, think about that. Our limitless, powerless, tireless God, did he need the rest? Who was it created for? So in Genesis 2, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day, made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So as then moving on, we're, we're reminded in the Ten Commandments to follow that example God set, because again, he didn't need to rest, but he knew we would and that we should. Uh, in Exodus 20, 8 through 11, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. We can almost say this in our sleep, can't we? Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, your male or female servant, your animals or any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, but he rested. He rested on that seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And as if we needed the reminder that the command was a blessing rather than just a do it because I said so, in Mark 2, Jesus reminded the Pharisees of his, time, uh, of his day, but also to all of those hearing and reading his words today, the, man, the Sabbath was made for, for who? Man. Not man for the Sabbath. This message is not itself an in-depth study on the Sabbath fundamentals, but I encourage you to talk to a friendly face in the pew, church leader, etc., if you want to look more closely at that sometime. Uh, but bringing it back into today's train of thought, I'll refer to Testimonies, Volume 4, where Ellen White asserts the following. God claims one day, one day, and gives it back, gives it right back to man as a day in which he may rest from labor and devote himself to worship and the improvement of his spiritual condition. 
What a flagrant outrage is it for man to steal one sanctified day of Jehovah and appropriate it to his own selfish purposes. Even when sin emerged, the Sabbath was an ordinance of rest that bound all to yield control to the Creator. Reflect on our relationship with Him and reflect on His creation. Each Sabbath, mankind is called to rest. We were to rest from all our labors. Sabbath is a great equalizer. Rich or poor, male, female, all yield to the power and authority of the Creator of the universe. That's the call. When confronted with his defiance of the will of God, Pharaoh doubled down and increased his harshness towards the children of Israel. His attack against God's rest was both physical and spiritual. I want you to understand the nature of Pharaoh's strategy to defy God and deny his people their rest. The Bible tells us that he increased the workload, made the work longer and harder, and then scattered the people around Egypt more. He then gathered the Hebrew leaders, beat them up, and told them that the reason their work is harder is because these troublemakers, Moses and Aaron, demanding rest and sacrifice for them. So, Pharaoh knew that when God's people are divided, they can be more readily conquered. Pharaoh knew that when God's people are infighting, they can be controlled. That time-honored strategy continues to today. The pharaohs of our day, be it government, corporate, or religious, continue to divide us by our race, our gender, our class, even nationality. So God's effort, though, to give people, his people rest, resulted in the creation, you can say, of the first labor union in the history of the world. They advocated for rest, physical and spiritual. I want you to understand that this first resistance movement recorded in scripture was about rest and the last will also be about rest so the path to rest though is not your work of course here's what god instructed moses to say to the children of israel a word that resonates to all the oppressed through all the ages and this comes out of exodus 6 verses 6 through 8 Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. The Bible tells us there's a work that only God can do. In the beginning, he created. The world is not the product of random chance, operating by natural mutation, but life is the product of the mind of our creator. He spoke and it was done. Israel's redemption wasn't the product of the military mind of man, but by the mighty word of God, who spoke and plagues fell, who breathed and seas opened, by his might alone an empire fell. And by his power alone, his people received rest. All God wanted them to do is rest. 
God's redeeming act brought Israel both physical and spiritual rest. By taking his people out of Egypt, God gave his people physical rest. They're no longer slaves to the Egyptian empire. By bringing them out of Egypt, God gave them spiritual rest, the Sabbath. They could now worship God every seventh day. In other words, the Sabbath is the great symbol of God's rest given to mankind. Every time we rest, it opens the door to worship God. Every time we rest on Sabbath, we acknowledge God. Every time we rest on Sabbath, we honor God. It's an ongoing and perpetual reminder to all mankind to remember God as creator. This is why God reminded Israel of the following in Deuteronomy 5. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. The Sabbath is a symbol of every slave, servant, bondsman, day laborer, farmhand, these days the blue-collar worker, and everybody in between. God can redeem you by his mighty hand. If there's any theme I want you to take from the rest of Uh, Take from this message, it's that rest precedes worship. That's why why Satan and Pharaoh, his his workers, um, put that under attack. Rest precedes worship. Before you worship God, you must rest. If you don't rest, you can't worship. When uh, When you come to worship, you need to lay aside the labor of the week. Ignore the worries of the weak. Forget the stress of living in a sin-sick world. Put down the wars of the weak. doesn't mean they disappear. It means you're putting them at Jesus' feet. And take the shoes off your feet so that you can worship the God whose presence lit up a mountain and whose glory outshines the sun. Far too often, when we worship, we remain connected to things that can't save us or redeem us. Those stresses that carried, we carried through the week, the to-do list that's still rattling around in our mind when we try to sit down and be quiet and know that he is God for a moment, we, we need to set their distractions. We need to set them aside. We remain also distracted by these devices in our pockets or you know, other, other such. Uh, the fruit of restless work, Um, We worship data and information rather than the God who's the source of all knowledge. In the passage for our meditation, Moses pleads with Pharaoh to let the people rest so that they may go into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to God. I want you to understand that God expects us to exercise this right. There it is. He's calling us to rest. In face of oppression, we need to rest. In face of disenfranchisement, we need to rest. When the powers that be seek to enslave us, we need to rest. And I know we can struggle with this concept sometimes. Rest seems passive. Rest is not resistance. Or is it? The story is told of a young woman after... In, in Montgomery, Alabama, after a long day of work as a seamstress, she was sitting on a bus. Law required her in those days, though, to give up her seat 
to a white person in accordance with segregation laws. But she was tired. She decided to rest. She held her seat. That led to her arrest. Her arrest led to the Civil Rights Movement that culminated in the Civil Rights Act of 1964. I think we know who this is I'm talking about now. Rosa Parks, yes. Good job. Rest can be resistance. Her rest transformed America, and God is calling us to rest. Similarly, on October 24, 1975, Icelandic women went on strike for the day to, and this is, this is out of some of their, um, I guess, some of the strike records of the day, strike documents or news, uh, news reports of the day. Uh, they went on strike to demonstrate the indispensable work of women for Iceland's economy and society, as well as to protest wage discrepancy and unfair employment practices. It was publicized domestically as Women's Day Off. Participants led by women's organizations did not go to their paid jobs that day. They did not do any housework or child rearing for the full day. 90% of Iceland's female population participated. It's incredible. Iceland's parliament passed a law guaranteeing equal pay the following year. There's power in rest. Last year, the Oakwood University basketball team had to forfeit a playoff game that was scheduled to begin during Sabbath hours. Their petition to a local athletic organization or athletic association to reschedule the, time, the game to a time outside of Sabbath hours was denied. These young men chose to rest. Their stand for Sabbath rest resulted in an invitation from the governor of Alabama and national publicity for a group of young men who took a stand for their faith. The Public Affairs and Religious Liberty Department for the uh, General Conference got involved, filed suit, and the Athletic Association settled with the promise to accommodate Sabbath rest going forward. So God is calling us to rest, and we can worship. The Hebrews heeded God's call to rest. They followed Moses out of bondage. They left behind their slave masters. They left behind the land of the Pharaoh, left behind the gods of Egypt, and entered into rest. They began their journey to the promised land. But before they journeyed, they met God at Sinai and rested, physically and spiritually. We need to understand if we're to worship God, we must first rest. When there's no rest... There can't be worship. When there can't be worship, deliverance can be hard to come by. Now, fast forwarding to these United States. From, uh, for 246 years, enslaved Africans had no rest. In many instances, the enslaved Africans worked six or seven days a week. While slavery lasted, early Adventists advocated the end of slavery by their voice, vote, and defiance of the laws that sought to keep men and women, also made in God's image, in perpetual bondage. The war to end slavery and the ratification of the 13th Amendment was the first step to freedom for those excluded from rest. But following the end of that slavery, workers, whether black or white, worked 12 hours a day, six days a week. There was a time. 
In other words, from sunup to sundown, basically. In many instances, even children found themselves working these long hours in factories and fields across the country. So, next, a bloody fight between organized labor and corporate monopolies began. Labor unions acted by any means necessary to fight for laws that would benefit workers and bring them rest. Their tactics were so bad at times that Ellen White warned Adventists not to join those movements, while at the same time still condemning those corporate monopolistic powers that wouldn't allow their workers to rest. So imagine being caught in this rock and hard place. The unions would compel workers to strike, sometimes against their will, and also the corporate monopolies would deny them rest against their will. It wasn't until 1930, late 1930, when the Fair Labor Standard Act was passed, limiting work hours to 40 hours a week, that many employees finally started to get some rest. But that rest didn't always lead to Sabbath worship. It led to leisure. Still, in, uh, by 1950, life expectancy in the U.S. increased from 50 years to 68 years. How about that? Today, that's bumped more so into the mid-upper 70s. Right? But consider Loma Linda, uh, what we sometimes refer to as an Adventist Mecca. It's not solely Adventists living there, but, you know, mostly. Uh, it's recognized as a blue zone, a, area, a geographic area high with a high concentration of people living over 100 years of age. There, the average lifespan is more like 89 years for men and 91 for women. It's incredible. It, you can kind of see in these modern comparisons, it pays to rest, and it turned that rest into worship. Ironically, it was the advocacy of unions and not the work of the church that finally brought rest to an overworked and tired nation. Because the laws in the United States now protect rest, a new form of unrest has been shipped overseas by corporate giants like Apple, Microsoft, Amazon. You probably have a few others rolling around in your head right now as well, uh, where workers are being exploited at factories when they work from sunup to sundown six, seven days a week. This year, in religious liberty advocacy efforts, we celebrate Gerald Groff, an evangelical Christian who believes that Sunday should be devoted to rest and worship. And Alan Rannick, an Adventist attorney who has devoted his life to defending Adventists who seek to rest on God's holy day, the Sabbath. Together, they challenged the United States Postal Service and their business partner's decision to deny Groff's request to rest on the day he called holy, a decision that was in violation of the Civil Rights Rights Act of 1964. So in, in that challenge to the USPS, Mr. Groff upped the chance for, the, for rest to thousands of Adventists who lose their jobs on a yearly basis because employers across the nation refuse to grant them rest. This joint stand of a Sabbath keeper and a Sunday keeper resulted in a unanimous decision, unanimous, that's a big deal, unanimous decision by the Supreme Court to affirm the power of rest in an age where corporate pharaohs continue to increase the workload on an exhausted nation and world. 
The legacy of slavery continues to haunt our world today, and rest remains the battle cry for the oppressed. Our political divisions are largely driven by the fight between these corporate giants and labor. There's a concerted effort to destroy union power, give massive tax cuts to corporate giants, and deregulate government control over the actions that work against the interests of the laborer, the people. As Adventists, though, we, we understand that the final battle in Earth's history will be over rest and worship. Our pioneers understood the role this country would play in taking rest from the Earth. They concluded that the United States was the land beast of Revelation 13 because of slavery. They understood that the final battle will be over both physical and spiritual rest. They knew that physical rest gives mankind the means to prepare for spiritual rest. They knew that physical rest must first be diminished, and when that occurs, spiritual rest is under attack. With divine insight, Ellen White connected the fight for rest between laborers and corporate powers as leading the societal divisions that would elevate a few men at the expense of the dignity of the masses. In other words, men would gain dominion over each other to the detriment of the nation. As a consequence, our church predicted that Christians would seek to elevate Sunday as man's effort to give rest while protecting corporate interests. This forced rest will not lead men to worship, but will, in fact, remove liberty of conscience. Men cannot give what only God can ordain. However, our pioneers knew that those faithful to God will defy the man-made rest for the rest that only God can give. And a final generation will rise and honor God's Sabbath and remember him as creator. Martin Luther King offered these words during the fight for civil rights. I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of fighting for what should have been mine at birth. I'm here today to tell you that now is the time to grow now now is not the time to grow weary. There's more rest to fight for. So I want us to remember these seven things today. First, we are made in the image of a creator who made the world, made it in six days, made the universe, but also made the world in six days, and then rested. He set the example for resting after working. God created the Sabbath so that we can rest. Next, because we're made in the image of our creator, we don't have dominion over each other. We're made in his image. Each person is equal in God's sight. We have dominion over nature. Consequently, no person has the right or power to take rest from us. Third, God made rest for all mankind in nature. It's the first fundamental right that supersedes the claims of all governments and corporate interests. Four, we must teach our children to rest, and our families should rest together. Family that rests together stays together. Next, if you don't rest, you're a slave. Don't be a slave. Slavery destroys Sabbath rest and the image of God in every human being. Next, Sabbath rest is the great symbol of liberation for all people who find themselves enslaved, be it by 
old-fashioned slavery, ecclesiastical dominion, or the modern corporate slavery. God calls us to physical rest so that we can worship. Our mission is to bring physical and spiritual rest to the world. This is why the early Adventist pioneers fought against slavery and identified the United States as the final beast power that would take rest from the earth. And last, the final battle in earth's history will be over physical rest that will take away from spiritual rest and worship. In this final battle, God and those who are faithful to him will be victorious. So in closing, we can't preach the Sabbath unless we're willing first to fight for that rest, be it fighting to break away from the rat race in our own lives and be willing to hit that pause button, put the cares at Jesus' feet. They're his now. Turn our, turn our hearts and minds to him. Um, or be it fighting the more frank or sinister challenges to our freedom of conscience. Or advocating for others who are oppressed. Physical rest precedes spiritual rest. And spiritual rest leads to worship. You can't worship unless you are at rest. If there's one consistent mission for our church, it's to give rest to the world. Tell an overworked and spiritually deficient world that has forgotten its creator that there is a God and he wants to give them rest and abide with them. God is calling us to take a stand for rest, to tell the world about rest, to fight for rest, but most importantly, to rest. When we rest, we remember that God's the one who's really in charge. God will defeat pharaohs of all kinds, lead us from slavery to freedom, redeem us from physical and spiritual bondage, and we will enter in a communion with the God who leads us to the promised land, a city whose maker and builder is God.